Invite us in our time today as we take time to remember and celebrate that even angels will wonder about. They will come to us when all this is over and they'll be asking us what it was like to be in a broken world where grace and mercy had to fight so hard against, against stuff the world would try and cloud our minds with. We ask, Father, that you will guide us in this time, that we look forward to that time when we can talk about this in the new heaven and the new earth. But right now we need, we're taking the time to remember what Jesus has done and what he is doing even today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, two of the most ancient ceremonies we have in the church. One is baptism. And the other one is communion. Baptism comes from John the Baptist. It was an ancient Jewish thing. It was a part of their tradition. If you were a, a, a if you were a Gentile becoming a Jew, you would be baptized. You'd have to go through the process of becoming a Jew. And baptism was part of that. The Lord's Supper has actually older than even Jesus. It goes back because it's branched off Passover, as Greg so correctly described. Passover... Is the it's the longest it's it's the oldest and most longest what do they call it celebrated feast in all of the religions. It's three hundred three three thousand five hundred years old. Even today, it's it's celebrated. In fact, Easter and Passover this year. Did you know that came together? Now, I often wonder why at camp when we talk about Easter. We hardly talk about Easter. And when Easter and Passover are together, why we don't enjoy them together? Because they used to be enjoyed together. Passover. It was foundational to the thinking of every Jewish girl and boy. Every elderly person was well steeped in what Passover meant. Passover where the angel would pass over the house. The angel of death would pass over the house. Why was the angel of death going into some houses and passing over some houses? Why was the angel of death even there at the time in Egypt at the time of the Exodus? It's a terrible story really when you think about it. Starts off actually the story with Pharaoh trying trying to control the Jews, so he ordered the destruction of the boys. God eventually, out of out of that story, a little boy called Moses was saved, and he grew up in in, in Moses's house, in, in um, the Pharaoh's house, the king's house, the very person who tried to kill off all the all the babies. One of the one, the, the savior of that, those people were actually there. What was growing up was going to be ruling with him. Eventually, Pharaoh um, chases Moses out because he murders someone and he wanders around for 40 years until, and with his father-in-law looking after sheep. So he spent most of his life, the first 40 years, 
learning how to govern a nation and to win battles and to, and to control the masses and to, to create narrative and all the stuff that a pharaoh has to do to control the masses, to keep the slaves under control. He spent all that time learning that and then he goes out into the wilderness to look after sheep. And then in, in, the, in the 40th year of his looking after his father-in-law's sheep, bringing up his boys, marrying his, his lovely wife, and forgetting about Egypt, he comes across this, this, this bush that's just on fire. And, and he meets Yahweh for the first time. Yahweh, the I Am. And the I Am says, I want you to go back and rescue my people. And he argues with with Yahweh and says, I can't can't even talk anymore. I don't even know the language anymore. And and God says, it's all right, I've sorted it. And so he goes back. And when he, with, with, with his brother Aaron, goes back and faces the new Pharaoh, right? The new Pharaoh says to him, who's, who, who, who's that? Yahweh who? Why am I supposed to be listening to this, this king? Oh, oh, this God? I'm the only God around here. And, 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 and Aaron and Moses said, Yahweh is saying to you, let my people go. And he refused. In fact, he made it harder. So God sent a, a, a series of judgments against not just the children, of, not just Egypt, not just Pharaoh himself. If you read the scriptures, it's against the gods of Egypt. This was one God, the God, warring against all the gods of Egypt. And Yahweh proved that the gnats, the, the, the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, the water was under, completely under his control. And he dismantled Pharaoh's economy, his everything, until finally... In the last time, Moses goes to Pharaoh because to Pharaoh, and he said, because he wouldn't relent. He says, "Because you will not let go of my firstborn, Israel, my firstborn. Basically, because you tried to kill off my children, you have a certain time to let my people go. If you do not let my people go, calamity will come, and I will take your firstborn." Of everything, whether your cattle, your children, you name it, the firstborn was going to be mine. I'll take it back. He went back to he went back to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to tell my people, there's something coming. And Pharaoh's going to let you go after this, but it's going to be a very painful experience. This is how you will protect your firstborn. You'll take a a year a year old lamb. And you will sacrifice that lamb and you will take the blood and you will take a hyssop bush and you will dip it into the bowl with the blood and you will paint the lintel, the, the lintel and the doorposts of your, of your house, right? And if you have that and everyone in that house will be protected as the angel comes, it will see the blood of the lamb on the door and will pass over and your firstborn will be saved. And that's how they did it. The the, the amazing part of that story is it wasn't who was in this, it wasn't the person in that made the difference. It was what was on the door. You could be Egyptian, 
You could be Nubian, African. You could be anyone in that. You could be anyone in that house. But every firstborn at that pl- at that point was in danger. But anyone behind that door, with the blood, was protected from the angel of death. What happened was tragic, and it was it was terrible. It was traumatic. Um, and Pharaoh forced Israel out. This was such a, also such a powerful uh, part of their history that God said, from now on, your New Year's Day will be Passover. This will be the beginning of your year, every year. Your whole life was going to be about this memorial that I have rescued you from slavery. I dismantled the power that you could not. You didn't have anything going for you. I did it for you. And they, they started a whole thing going on. They would have a ceremony. They would bring their lamb. And so the concept of Passover was such a memorial that it was... It was a, and I've got to be very careful how I say it. It was a sensory experience it was a sense sensory experience you would be taking this lamb that was part of your part of your life for a year you'd be taking it up to the into into where the priest was and the, and the heart-wrenching thing that happened with the sacrifice was bad enough then you would take the lamb and you'd process it for your meal but in the meantime there was ceremonies there was dancing there was incense all the senses the smelling the sights right the hearing, the songs, and then you would go back to your home and you would sit around the table and they would have this, this they, would, they would start lighting candles and you'd start to see light. And then you would, you, they would be starting to pour the wine. They would have four cups, not one, but four. First cup was the cup of righteousness. The next cup was the cup of, um, of um, tears, the cup of, the cup of anguish. The next t- cup was the cup of ce- um, redemption. The next cup was the cup of celebration. And they'd have, they, would, they would have a, a special bread that they would break and there were certain things that they would do with a p- piece of bread that, and the children would be all, all part, of the, part of it was the children were involved in, in looking for parts of the bread and they would ask questions like, why do we do this every year? Why do we eat this bread every year? So the whole thing was the family was immersed, completely immersed in the story. So you could not forget it. You ever, you ever smelt something? And all those memories come back. You ever did that? Sharon and I went back to Warburton a couple of years ago. And we walked along this track and the smell of the bush and everything flooded. It was like our souls were back putting roots down in the home. It's beautiful. It was a smell that did that. Well, every year, the, the incense and the temple and all that sort of stuff and, and the things were going on in the house and they would... They would dip their bread in, in they would have bitter herbs. The bitter herbs was the, the bitter experience and they would dip it into salt water. That was the, the, that was the tears that they, that they experienced. And all of that reminded them that Yahweh was the God of gods. Yahweh was king of gods. Yahweh was the God over all the nations. And they were his people. Fast forward. To Jesus' day, John the Baptist sees Jesus in the crowd. He points to him and declared, who can say it with me? Behold, come on, say it with me, friends. Behold, 
the Lamb of God. Who do you think he's talking about? Passover. And John breaks up. He counts down towards Jesus' cross experience through the Passover feasts. Um, Jesus organises the Passover dinner. And as, as he, 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 you'll notice in Luke, he blesses a cup and he sends it out. He said, that's the first cup. And they don't mention the second cup except for until he gets to he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Father, take this cup from me if it be your will. Because what they experienced in the, in the slavery for those, all those years is nothing compared to the weight of the sin and the demonic heaviness that was upon him that he had to drink all the way to the end. Had to drink that cup dry. He did that for us. But there was, a, there was another cup, the cup of salvation, and that's the cup that we're celebrating here. They used to have this ha- hand-washing th- ceremony too. And I was reading an interesting book. It was, it's written by a Messianic um, Hebrew rabbi, Jewish rabbi. And he, equate, he said, and take it for what it's worth, he, he mentions that Jesus is taking the elements of Passover and he's transferring it and bringing it into the new covenant. And the hand washing, because of what was going in the upper room, he took the hand washing and he changed it to foot washing. And he did it. He, he, he stepped away from the head of the table where he's officiating all this and he gets on the, on the floor and he washes their feet. Even that, according to this rabbi, is part of the Passover service. Yes, indeed, it was all about humility. But it was to remember Passover. The sensory nature of, of, of Passover is so profound that the children knew exactly, by the time they were in their five, six, they knew exactly what was going on with the scriptures in that area. So too, we have the table. And it's a century thing. You know, when you take someone's foot and you, like, Mike, how often do you go around taking people's feet and washing it? I mean, that's just... When I, when I first came back to the Lord, mate, the first thing, trying to wash someone's feet, that was just, whoa, that was just weird. But it's just, it's an amazing sensory experience. You never forget the first time you've washed or had your feet washed. You never forget that. Especially if it's cold water. <laughs> you won't forget that. Cold water's good. Um, and, and being on your knees doing that. Splashing. That's a sensory thing. The mind puts these actions in it and, and puts them in the memory. You remember that way. When you take the bread and you, and you, let it, you put it in your mouth and you taste it, you're tasting a symbol and you remember that. And you, you, we take this beautiful juice and we taste the sweetness and we savour the sweetness. And we remember the sweetness of mercy and grace as Jesus drank the other cup and poured his life for us to have eternity. Isn't that a beautiful, amazing picture? Tragic, yet it is. But it's amazing. That was God giving us mercy and grace. 
What I am sad for as, as a pastor, and I'm going to close off here because we're running out of time. I could rant about this all day, but I won't. I like it's okay. Um, we've kind of made this beautiful sensory experience into a really constructed, boxy type thing where, you know, I've had people coming up to me and says, how dare you let children be involved with, you know, communion and stuff. Could you imagine communion being in small groups, communion being around the dinner table for families? Why should it have to be here that we have communion? Why should it be... Why should it be in this environment only where we experience that grace and mercy? We take the time to remember. But we bo- we've boxed it in. It's gone away from the experience until it's something that we have to do. We've got to tick it off and tick it off through the year. As a pastor, I found myself doing that. Make sure you get the communion done. But it's so much more than that. The communion to the church was to be for us like the Passover was to the Jewish race. The universe was freed of the power and power of death and suffering at the cross, and we, we, we it's so easy to forget because the devil has a war against our psyche, our mind to distract us and to keep us focused on very small, minute, and unimportant things. And to us, they may seem important things. But we forget, and that's why we take the time. We choose to say, stop, I'm going to remember. And by the way, might have a problem with a brother or sister, and I don't know what to do about that. Maybe I need to wash their feet. Wow, that's awkward. But it's amazing when it happens. If you wash someone you're having a contentious issue with, wash their feet in church, I tell you what, it sorts things out. I've I've been doing stuff at home. I've been caught up being involved with stuff. I don't know if I can do it. I I, I won't come to church because communion. I don't want to. I don't want to have to face that. Hey, that's when you should be coming to communion. If you've got stuff in your life, if you got if you're dealing with stuff in your heart, right? Okay, that you know, God. You're, 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 you're in, the, in a bad place. Now's the time to take a stop and go, Lord, yes, <laughs> I'm dirty, I'm broken, I've got some issues, I need to talk to you about it. And, and, when, we, and when we taste this and we experience this, that's part of the experience, that's part of the process. Communion is fascinating. Communion is powerful the first communion just after Pentecost wow could you imagine Peter breaking bread and it says it says there that they were listening to the apostles teachings all the time and they were breaking bread all the time that's not just meals Peter would be breaking the bread and as he's breaking the bread he's remembering denying his Lord three times as John John, one of, the, one of the apostles, is breaking the bread with a little home group. He's hearing the nail hammering his Lord to the cross. When, when, when Mary's talking to the ladies, she, she's saying, I can take you now to the empty grave. 
Here, look at the cloth. I've still got it in my hands. No wonder the church was exploding and the, the best way they could explain why Jesus came and did what he did was the communion table because it's such a sensory experience and it's tied to something that they were uniquely connected with. That was Passover. Jesus died so that my heart can be painted with the blood of the Lamb and the angel of judgment can walk, can fly right over me and say, that person is mine. Can you say amen to that? Wow. So that's why we do this. I had a, a really good talk chat with um, Greg and um, Brad this week and it's my hope that we can... I don't know what you've done in the past, but it's my hope that we can create communion through with discussion with the community and with the leadership team that we can make communion something really high, something really profound. Not just something we tick, but something that's locked into our worship year and we can't wait to be part of it. And we invite people to it. I'll close with this little, in this, when we were Margaret River, uh, I was long hair, hippie-like guy, and Sharon was, she had long hair too, but she didn't have the beard, and we turned up there in, in ministry, and um, we were sort of meeting a lot of different people there, and we would, we would I, don't know, I don't know how we got away with it, but we would do amazing stuff for communion, and, and foot washing was really important Sharon would do stuff for the ladies and make it all perfumey and all that sort of stuff it was pretty impressive it wasn't for me um, but we got hay bales for the guys and we, we made it really incredible and we were we were in we were in the um, community centre of Margaret River and because it was in the community centre there was a job board and people would come in and out of the community centre and we were using different parts of the community centre um, for a different different these different um foot washing places and we had these hippies I was with the guys and we were washing each other's feet and these hippies come in and go wow man what you doing <laughs> complete strangers oh we're washing feet why why are you washing feet man <laughs> well because this is what Jesus did. why would Jesus do that right and so we sat down and had this conversation with him why we did it it's the power of communion we can bring people here and they can experience something that's Probably a little bit freaky at sometimes, but generally amazing, right? And we could have conversations about things we wouldn't normally have conversations with. So as we go from here on in, into the foot washing, the foot washing is going to be, uh, Christine, you were saying? The old kindy room? In, in the... Okay, now, uh, I've... I've I've done it that way only because that's the only way I know. <laughs> I'm happy to be educated, Mike, and everyone, right? Educate me on how you want it because Mike's been doing a lot of educating, so has Brad for me, and I need it. This is good stuff. Um, this has just happened again. No, it's all right. Um, so then we're going to come back and then we're going to have a song and then we're going to enjoy the other parts of the communion table, the bread and the wine. Uh, and by the way, if there's something in your heart, 
Now's a good time just to quietly talk to God about it. I don't want anyone who may be carrying stuff. I know what it's like to carry sin. You find yourself carrying a lot of shame. I don't want you to carry shame. I want you just to say, look at it and admit this is mine. That's what confession is. Lord, can you take it please and help me to be better? That's what we're going to do today. Father in heaven, as we move to this incredible symbolism of the potency of your mercy and grace. Jesus, as we take the time to work through this, to feel the water, to taste the bread and the wine, to enjoy each other's fellowship, Father, we, I ask that you will transform our hearts, that you will speak to us as a community and as an individual. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.